Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. During the summer of 2022, we are exploring areas of justice, including celebrating Pride Sunday, Juneteenth, talking about patriotism and Christian nationalism, childhood hunger, global warming, and violence. I feel like I'm running out of the chances to say, if you're visiting with us, this isn't normally what we do. (laughs) Because I feel like I say that more often than not. So I guess I could just say you never know what you're going to get, right, when you come to Ridgewood. (laughs) Today, I asked Chris Sanders, well, I should say to go way far back, Chris Sanders offered, I think back in a January missions and justice meeting, that when we came to the weekend of July 4th, we should talk about patriotism. And at that time, what was kind of getting going, what we call uh, Christian nationalism. And um, so as we approached it, I asked Chris, well, are are we going to do this? (laughs) So here we are. And I want to tell you, if you didn't know this about me or about pastors, or I should say, I guess pastors like me, not all pastors are like me, thank goodness. Um, Sometimes we start to feel the ick as we approach July 4th weekend. And it's not because we are not grilling hot dogs. Um, It's not because we don't have an American flag flying in front of our house or something like that. But when July 4th especially hits near a weekend, the question comes up of that worship service. Because in the hymnal in front of you are songs like America the Beautiful. I'm not sure if this hymnal, I haven't, I haven't looked it up to see, but some hymnals have the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, I saw, I see y'all pulling out of pews, looking up. I see you, Diana, in the back. She's like, I'm going to check this out. My country tis of thee. I'm pretty sure it's in there. And we are part of something called the church, not Ridgewood Baptist Church. We are part of something that was created by the work of the Holy Spirit. We had Pentecost at the beginning of June. That Holy Spirit created a church that is all over the world. And I like to think about if we were to pick up this church and transfer to Spain, could everything we had in this service still pertain to Christians in Spain? Because they are also a part of that Holy Spirit. If there are things in here that feel like we are in any way worshiping the country we plant our feet down on, I don't know if that is purely Christian faith. So that's why pastors sometimes get the ick, right? And I know very ironically 
If you look behind me on the wall, this is where like the ick begins. If you look behind me on the wall, the Pentecost color when we're in the season of Pentecost is red. Our background color for our slides that are our summer justice mission series is blue. It looks behind me like we are stars and stripes all the way today. (laughs) Totally ironic, but that's kind of where the ick begins of are we promoting Christ or are we promoting America? So all of that to say, here's Chris Sanders, and I'm going to give us just a little bit of intro. I want to define for you um, patriotism. So everything I just said, yes, and I'm just going to cope a little bit beside what I said I was going to say. We are going to talk about (laughs) patriotism and American Christianity today. So forget everything I just said, I guess. But um, we're going to talk just a little bit about it. We're going to define these, first of all. So patriotism is love for or devotion to one's country. That is patriotism, right? So we've already talked about there's a little C church. We are a little C church, church down the road, little C church. But by the work of the Holy Spirit, we belong to the big C church. So sometimes you'll even hear me say in a sermon or something like that, the big C church, that is the worldwide church. Now, here's where it starts to get dicey. Nationalism. I'm going to define nationalism for us. It is, you'll hear kind of some similar stuff at the beginning, loyalty and devotion to a nation, not a bad thing, especially a sense of national consciousness exalting one nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to those of other nations. That was a lot of words. I won't won't say it again, but um, basically nationalism is the promotion of one country above all other countries. Then we get into what you may have heard about recently um, called Christian nationalism. I am going to take a definition from the Baptist Joint Committee, which is a group in Washington, D.C. They advocate for the separation of church and state. Um, So here is their definition of Christian nationalism. It is... A cultural framework that idealizes and advocates for a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. Christian nationalism contends that America has been and always should be distinctively Christian from top to bottom in its self-identity, interpretations of its own history, sacred symbols, cherished values, and public policies. And it aims to keep it that way. So I am going to uh, pause for a second and bring Chris into the conversation. We've talked about uh, patriotism and we've talked about nationalism. So I want to know first, um, it's July 4th weekend. What do you think as Christians we should do to celebrate the 4th of July? Are you a hot dog guy or what's your... (laughs) Hot dogs versus hamburgers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that we we celebrate the 4th of July as a celebration of America's better angels. <laughs> if America means to you freedom, liberty, 
justice, tolerance, compassion, generosity, then, then that's what we're emphasizing on this particular holiday. Uh, if it means something else, it's hard to celebrate that. Hmm. Let me ask you, um, if you are uh, not a patriotic person by nature, is that a bad thing? I am patriotic by nature. <laughs> and so I, I say to everyone who's here and maybe watching online too, uh, if you're patriotic, this is this is a weekend for people like you and I. If you're a veteran, if you served, thank you for your service, and we appreciate all the uh, gifts and sacrifices provided uh, to secure the justice and compassion and tolerance in, in America's better angels. Uh, so, in that sense, patriotism is best served and best expressed when we are inclusive. When, when everybody who is a, is a citizen within these geographical confines feels like an American, that uh, we are doing our best and being all that America should be. I'm patriotic in that way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering if you could... Uh, how do we how do we um, toe that line between patriotism and Christian nationalism, especially? Can you talk about you know what? Yeah, how do we toe that line? I'll leave it at that. <laughs> patriotism is open. Patriotism welcomes in the motto on the statue, you know, the poor, the tired, the huddled masses yearning to be free. Nationalism says it's me, mine, and nobody else. Uh, patriotism says America the beautiful for all that we things that we find beautiful in our country. Nationalism says don't criticize anything that you see because it's ours. Uh, patriotism says God bless America and everybody else. Nationalism says God bless America and nobody else. So when we sing God Bless America, if you, if you sing it with a tinge of possessiveness and dominance and self-righteousness and a danger to others, with a, you know, where justice means just us, then we got a problem. Mm-hmm. If you sing God Bless America to say... America the big, America the bold, the big, the generous, then sing that out loud and make that happen. I wonder if that comes from the idea that there's only so much blessing to go around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, um, you know, when we're, when we're in elementary school and we have, and we're learning maps and you have, you know, the state maps and you learn that you know, Kentucky is like this pink state, and then right under there's Tennessee, and it's green, and it's, you know, there's purple, uh, Virginia, or whatever, and you learn about all these different, um, it's so interesting. I feel like that's how our brains are trained to think about the world, and even when you learn about Europe, and when you learn about Africa, you learn about those borders. We're mm-hmm. taught about, to learn about borders, but if, if we think about how God sees the world, how Christ sees the world, how the Holy Spirit moves through the world still, 
those are fictitious. Those are, you know, some people got together and said, here's the borderline between Kentucky and Tennessee. But there's nothing in the land that separates us from one another. I don't think there's a better way to learn states. I should say that, you know, our third grade states tests are helpful. But I wonder if that somehow limits our brains to thinking there can be blessing here or there can be blessing here, but maybe not as much over there. If we approach the world not with a sense of abundance, but a sense of scarcity, then we think, well, I got to protect me. I got to protect mine. I got to protect local. I got to protect those things that are under my care. And if that means other folks don't get enough or don't get any, that's not my problem. But if we see things in the world of abundance, with God's abundance, with Christ's abundance, then we can say that those lines are, we see them from the 30,000 foot level, from a God's eye viewpoint to say that everybody can have enough because there is enough. Yeah, good, good. Let's talk a little bit about our scripture from today. It may be familiar to you. I'm pulling out a phrase, and I hope I'm not taking it out of context for you, but, you know, some Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, do we have to pay taxes? And at the time, historically, there was an issue with paying taxes. People didn't want to do it. I think that's probably still an issue, right? I mean, nothing new. But people didn't want to pay taxes. So these Pharisees come because they want to draw a line. If Jesus would have said, no, you don't have to pay taxes, this is one of those cruxes of Scripture where he may have been crucified earlier because he would have sided apart from the powers that be. Um, And actually, this conversation is cited in in one of the accounts when Jesus is taken to the cross as he goes through um, Pilate. This this is one of those where he talks about taxes. But I could go on. Um, He says, give to Caesars what is Caesars and give to God what is God's. Um, If you were to take out a coin from your pocket right now, do you have one, Chris? I'm a millennial. I don't carry any cash. Um... There is, oh, thank you. There is a face on this coin. This is George Washington, right? Yes, it's a quarter. It's George Washington. If you have a penny, that would be, you didn't know you're going to have trivia today, right? Who's on the nickel? (laughs) Are we sure? Okay, good. So we have these faces of our leaders uh, on our coins This is nothing novel to the United States. At this moment in time, when people asked Jesus about paying taxes, he knew that on the face of the coins of ancient day uh, Palestine was the face of Caesar. And I think Jesus also knew that people were guarded with their money. And that if you stack up enough of those coins that possessed the image of Caesar, maybe you were worshiping money, but you were also worshiping the world. You were also creating an idol, a face that you were looking to collect that wasn't the face of God. 
So give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I'll give to Chris what is Chris's. Um, but Jesus said that, yes, government and church can live next to each other. Um, and that maybe even one shouldn't drive the other. So I want to share with you um, two uh, lessons from Stanley Hauerwas, who is an ethics theologian at Duke Divinity School, um, well-renowned, especially in work around um, immigration and now Christian nationalism as well. But um, he says two things. He says, first of all, Caesar wants everything, but God should have everything. When we talk about paying taxes, God, or I'm sorry, Caesar wants everything. But God should have our everything. And second, he says this. I don't know. I think I have it on a slide. I know it may be small. I'm going to read it to you. He says this. Jesus' answer that the things of God are to be given to God and not to the emperor is a reminder to those who produced the coin that every possession of the coin makes them idolaters. Ouch, Stanley. Jesus is not recommending in his response to the Pharisees that we learn to live with divided loyalties, but rather is saying that all the idolatrous coins should be sent back to Caesar where they belong. I am giving you um, a resource if you would like it. There are some copies at the back of the room, or I'll also put it on Facebook today. The Baptist Joint Committee that I mentioned earlier that advocates for the separation of church and state um, within the Supreme Court at a, at a, a lobbyist level, um, they put out this publication. Um, the, the question is, how does Christian nationalism show up in politics and policy? Um, there's a whole list of ways that they show up. And, and you can take one off the back table if you would like to review that. I'll put it again on Facebook if you're a digital person. Um, but I want to I want to bring up the first line they have on there, only the first one. Here's how it shows up. Christian nationalism, you can see it because they approve of authoritarian tactics like demanding people show respect for national symbols and traditions. Chris, <laughs> what does that look like? It's the demand. That's that's the the, the, the separation between patriotism and nationalism. If you demand that people show deference and, and veneration to the cross, that's not the cross. You know, in these words, the old hymn. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, not demanding. So if you put up a cross and you demand people bow down, you're not bowing down to Jesus. Good. And I think it comes back to um, last week. If you were here last week, we talked about what it means to be Baptist. Um, and that, that that actually comes from an idea of freedom. And the, the last point in that was that... Um, if, if we enact our beliefs through policy or legislation, that's not faith, that's coercion, yes. um, which is not a true freedom of conscience for people. So one more question for you, and then, uh, <laughs> and then we're going to figure out some good news about this. Um, can you talk about, um, we, we've 
spent June talking about advocacy in our Wednesday night study. What does advocacy look like in a place where Christian nationalism is also present? What does advocacy look like? Maybe you could define it for us and kind of talk about those two together, advocacy and Christian nationalism. Good. It's important, I think, when we're talking about speaking in the public square where you're standing. If you're standing in a place of power where you have the ability to work your will over other people and you speak, you're speaking, you're talking down. You are handing down directives. You're setting up boundaries. You're creating guardrails within which people are constricted. And so we have to avoid as Christians, especially as Baptists who believe in freedom, trying to create policies that would say, this is what we do, and if you don't want to do that, get out. America, love it the way we understand it or leave it. Now, advocacy, when you're speaking from a place of powerlessness, when you're speaking from average, poor, middle class folks who don't have control over the reins of government, you're not talking down, you're speaking up. You're asking within the ways that our system works for freedom. You're asking for support. You're asking for generosity and goodwill. So we don't coerce, but we do advocate. Thank you. Thank you. This all feels really dense, right? It's a lot of information. If you're visiting today, you're probably like, what is this? So hear this good news. You are not God, and you don't have to be. We are in a church with people who look like us and maybe talk like us, but that's not how the whole world looks. I hope maybe someday, wouldn't it be cool if we could all travel together to a church in South America or a church in Ukraine and see how God is worshiped there? I think that will better increase our understanding of who God is and what God desires the kingdom to look like than anything we could do in one church. I think so. I'm going to pray for us. Um, And the person I mentioned earlier, Stanley Hauerwas, I'm going to use a prayer that he wrote. Um, You are allowed to laugh at this if you feel so led. So as we close this conversation, conversation, thank you, Chris, um, I, I want to... And this dovetails so well with what uh, Bill said earlier as well. I hope you will pray with me um, and understand the jest and also the weight of this prayer. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a world without lords. We have presidents, but they rule with our consent. Or at least this is the story we tell ourselves. We believe that just as we claim to govern, so we govern our own lives. We are not set up to use Lord language. So do you mind if we call you Mr. President, Jesus? 
that, we confess, sounds strange. You did not and do not act like you're running for office. Driving money changers out of the temple seems a bit beyond the pale. What is worse, at the wedding at Cana, you were a bit short with your mother. And it's even more troubling that you never married and you spent most of your time with a bunch of guys. So we just don't think you're going to be elected president. (laughs) So what are we going to do with you, Lord Jesus? We confess that we don't have the slightest idea. All we can do is pray that you will destroy our presumption that we are our own lords. We fear such destruction, sensing that it may have something to do with death. In the life and death of Jesus, we find a reality and the possibility of all that your teachings say. It is possible to live that way if you are willing to die that way. Is that really part of what it means to call you Lord? I guess this means we have to get serious when we haven't the slightest idea of what it might mean to get serious. For God's sake, dear Jesus, Lord Jesus, help us. Amen. Amen.